Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have any edition of any game and specialize in out-of-print products. With Noble Knight, you can even sell back your old gaming products that you aren't using. Let's hear a quick word from them. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online open 24 7 on the web they have dnd and other cool rpgs any edition any game even out of print products and at a discounted price that's out of control have a bunch of old game products collecting dust dangerous allergens noble light will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore looking at you indiana jones rpg so go to noblenight.com and get by it and sell it. Take back your life and tell them the Tone Show sent you. Today we're talking about the recently announced D&D video game Sword Coast Legends. And we're talking about Fergus Urquhart's interview with Polygon. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What does your ideal non-RPG D&D video game look like, Rudy Basso? Four teams of five, first third-person melee slash magic simulator, where you're all in a dungeon with mobs, and there's an objective, and all the different parties are fighting against each other and against the monsters simultaneously, but maybe working together to try and uh, win the dungeon, if you will. Get the treasure and get out. And it's classes, and all the classes play differently. There's lots of different combinations, so you want to build the best party, and yeah, that's my idea. I miss I miss games with different, like, multiple teams fighting each other. So that's, that's my game. But you don't see a lot of team-on-team action like that in video games anymore. So team-on-team-on-team. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm in, I'm in. But does Alex Basso have a non-RPG D&D video game that he would like to see? So I did not think about this as long as Rudy. And I just thought, said, chivalry, medieval warfare, with some magic. You <laughs> You're a jerk. Chivalry is a first person, or third person if you, you know, if aren't very good at the game and choose to play in the uh, poor site. Uh, Smart way? Nope. Uh, a medieval combat game, but you know, have some guys who throw fireballs. Boom, done. And maybe make one side look like orcs or something. Vegas Lancaster, what does your ideal non-RPG D&D video game look like? Alright, so it comes with a plastic medieval loot shaped controller. <laughs> uh, oh. And it's, it's a rhythm game. Uh, and you know, colors come down and you hit buttons uh, in rhythm with the colors. Uh, and this inspires a digital party to fight harder against <laughs> enemies. Uh, it's called Art either... Simulator, finally. It's called either Bard Hero or Rock Bard. Uh, 
depending <laughs> on your preferences. You're about five years too late for that. Kind of thing, it's okay. I can see. I can see the expansion too that comes out. You can play lute or mandolin or harp. You know, <laughs> you can play with your friends. Have a whole bard band. So Sounds like a gold tambourine. Yeah. Game designers. Exactly. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and last but certainly not least, Gregory Blair is with us. Gregory Blair, what does your ideal non-RPG D&D video game look like? I've been marinating on it while you guys have been expounding upon your glorious ideas here. And even though I love Alex Basso's idea, I was thinking that too. What about essentially a D&D Skylanders game where you use all your minis in your collection that's like this crazy tactical battlefield not quite so not really skylanders more like the idea of skylanders where you have physical things that are represented in games right Mm -hmm. so you have all your minis and then that's your army in the game i think that'd be pretty rad because i love tactics stuff i know alex basso loves tactics and that gives you another use for all the sick miniatures you have collected (laughs) this is the most profitable idea you've ever had (laughs) that's what i was gonna say it's a great one because it would make them so much money sword coast legends was recently announced it is a video game that is a DD rpg you can have up to four players playing some pcs uh, and then you can have another player who is a DM jumping in and bringing in monsters and controlling them and possibly talking through NPCs and, and building adventure sites and stuff. It sounds pretty cool. A lot of people have compared it to Neverwinter Nights, which I think is a pretty apt comparison. Uh, you guys recently reviewed Neverwinter Nights on the D&D V&G podcast, which is why I wanted to have you all on today so that we could talk a little bit uh, about this game. So N-Space is producing the uh, video game. It's going to use the 5th edition rules set. Uh, It's pretty cool because we didn't get a game with the 4th edition rules set until 4th edition was already pretty much ending. It's really cool to see this available at start. Uh, Not all of the races and classes you see in the player's handbook um it's gonna have six classes the fighter cleric rogue wizard ranger and paladin and five races it's going to have the human elf half elf dwarf and halfling they have said that they are going to release updates that will feature more races and classes and things like that There's a trailer online. If you go to swordcoast.com, you can check it out, read all about the game. It's also linked in the show notes at thetomeshow.com, so you can check it out there. Anyway, I'm pretty excited when I saw this news. It seems like it's kind of far-ish along in its development, but you guys actually know a lot more about video game production than I do, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. How are you guys feeling about this game and... Do you think it's coming out too fast? Do you think that it's far enough along in this development? Sort of what are your feelings all around about when you heard this announcement? And let's start with you, Greg Blair. I'm personally super excited about this game. I kind of knew that something was coming from N-Space because a buddy of mine just got a job there as lead animator. (laughs) So I'm guessing that's why you went with me first. Yep. So I know the animations are going to kick ass straight off the bat, <laughs> but based on the trailer that they showed, it seems like definitely 2015 is reasonable. Just from some of the snippets and like kind of some experience I have with games and game dev and stuff like that, 
it looks definitely reasonable that it could come out. My my homeboy is real confident that they're going to make it. So it looks really awesome. I don't think it's too soon at all. Like you said, on the fourth head game, the we didn't have anything for fourth head until it was done and <laughs> in the ground, essentially. So I think leading with a game is a great idea. <laughs> and I don't know, man. I'm just so amped. When I saw the announcement last week, I got really excited. And this actually comes on heels of a rumor about a, a similar sort of adventure RPG coming out possibly for Pathfinder. Nothing has been confirmed yet, but it also makes you wonder, like, oh, did they push up the announcement for, for that reason? Because Pathfinder was starting to get some love in that way? Uh, I don't know. I know nothing. I don't think they did, personally. I think, you know, if they're looking at a 2015 release, if, I mean, unless it's coming out in December... Maybe it's a little early, but honestly, it's we're halfway through February here. You know, like you want to have some time for you know buzz to build. You want to get all those pre-orders in, right? I don't think. I mean, when would it come out? If if this wasn't getting pushed up, when was it going to come out? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that that it's that I got rushed at all. The the announcement seems like it makes sense. You know, the trailer, it, it doesn't look like... I mean, granted, the trailer is, what, two minutes long or something like that. But they actually they show a lot of systems in the game, in that trailer, it seems like to me. They show a lot of the DM stuff, the spells, pausing. Like, this doesn't look like an announcement that was rushed to me because it's showing a breadth of features. Rudy Basso, what do you think about all this? Are you excited for this game? And do you feel like it's ready to come out? Yeah, I think it looks real clean. I love the pause. There's a moment where the player pauses the game and there's an animation that time kind of freezes. I think that's really neat. I know that's a minor thing, but that kind of jumped out at me as something really cool. Yeah, I read in an interview, they've been working on this game for two years, so I'm not surprised that they're dropping um, an, a trailer that, that looks like a game that's it's very close to being finished. Yeah, it's just I'm very excited too. This studio... You know, this is they're no trapdoor technologies. They've got veteran game developers on their team who have a lot of experience in in big RPGs. Uh, so I'm excited. The you know, this is their first big project. It looks like they've done a lot of freelance stuff as new um, <laughs> developers tend to do. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited. I trust in these guys a lot. That was a beautiful trapdoor technologies burn just in the interest of fairness trapdoor was making a game they're making an app that's different but i mean in terms of like coming out of nowhere or at least seeming fit for the job again immediately after the announcement was made for dungeonscape i looked up trapdoor technologies and i could find nothing you know, immediately yeah. after Sword Coast Legends was announced, I looked up N Space. Space. N Space. I want to say N Zone really bad. And <laughs> I was very impressed with what I saw. So that's kind of the comparison. Yeah, I, I mean, they don't have, you know, they haven't released like big, huge stuff by themselves, but they've worked mm-hmm. on a ton of big projects. Like in game industry, you'll hire out subcontract to work all the time. Yeah. And like mobile stuff and, you know, other projects that maybe didn't come out or whatever. I think they've got a lot of experience going for them too. And just to kind of touch on, I thought of it while you were talking, Rudy, um, just talk about the timing too. So they've been working on it for two years, which honestly isn't a super long time for game development. 
especially something this complicated. But you got to figure, James, too, you know, depending on when they're coming out, hopefully they've allotted a fair amount of time to test, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. you want a few months. I mean, honestly, you want as much test as you can get. But <laughs> usually that gets squished at the end, right? If you're taking into account, let's say, three, four months of test, then, you know, you're finishing out your features, you're doing balance and stuff. There's no way this is premature. I don't think this is responsive at all. And honestly, I love Pathfinder. I think it's an amazing system, but they're not the heavy weight that you need to respond to. <laughs> well, and that's that's good to to know because right now in tabletop they are the heavyweight, right? They have been outselling D and D because there have been no D and D products really to buy until recently. That's just the thing I was wondering, and I am glad to hear that you guys don't think it's the case because, like I said. You know more about this than I do. Another guy who knows more than I do, Alex Basso. How are you feeling about this game? Uh, I mean, I'm liking the look of it so far. Uh, I mean, I I will say I'm kind of impressed by the amount of environments just shown in that quick minute and a half video. You know, you got a city in a swamp, a city in in the winter, a city in the spring, you know, cities in all the environmental settings. And the game itself, uh, I immediately uh, think Dragon Age Origins. Just with a party of four, surprisingly, I'd say good-looking 3D graphics. I, I when I when you guys first spoke about the game and I didn't watch the video, I expected it to be kind of older-looking, uh, and I was impressed by the graphics. And then, not surprisingly, to learn that uh, a couple of the Dragon Age leads, I believe, are working on it. So they they and, uh, you know they have a decent amount of Bioware people. It looks like a good group behind the game, and I'm re- really looking forward to how they implement the dungeon master mode. Uh, which I think could be the coolest thing if they make it a really seamless, uh, you know, way to play with five people and a quick way, you know, something where the dungeon master can adapt on the fly. That would be an awesome experience. But I don't know if I, it's something like I see there's so many pre-order options right now. There's just tons of them. I don't know if it's something I'd want to commit to at the moment, just because uh, we're kind of experience, experiencing a, a big comeback of these isometric camera uh, RPGs like I've been waiting for Pillars of Eternity by Obsidian for the past two years. When I backed it on Kickstarter, there's the new Baldur's Gate one that's coming out. Uh, Dragon Age, you know, Inquisition came out. There's so much stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna wait to see until I get more info on the game uh, before I kind of commit to it. For me, the DM pack is also really exciting. I remember Neverwinter Nights jumping in and and DMing for friends that I was playing with online and that kind of thing. And it always was a little clunkier than I wanted it to be. And it sounds like in interviews that they are trying to have it not be so clunky, have it be more of a seamless thing where you can just jump in at any time, which would be great. This might be a great way for people to get their feet wet DMing before they try it at the table, maybe. You know, that that's always the hope for me, is that these video games will lead more people to check out the tabletop hobby as well. Uh, Vegas Lancaster, how are you feeling about this game? It's cool. It, it looks like uh, we just did our Neverwinter Nights uh, review recently. The trailer reminds me a lot of Neverwinter Nights, but sexier and more modern uh and and it kind of has a lineage back to that game you know we were talking about there being bioware developers on it and that's where neverwinter came from uh neverwinter innovated a lot of the 
modern RPG elements that we see in great games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age. So it's uh, it's cool to see that coming back to Dungeons and Dragons. I do hold some skepticism. Something uh, I've started, a feeling I've started to develop as we've been playing these old uh, D&D RPG computer games on the D&D V&G podcast is I wonder if trying to translate tabletop rule sets to a video game yields a clunkier video game than just making a game from scratch. And I think that's the case. I think the rules that are established for a tabletop game uh, are different than the rule set that's created for a video game, uh, and they're you you get a less streamlined experience when you try to translate D&D to a video game. I mean, that's, yeah, I agree with you completely, Vegas. Trying to force the D&D rule sets into the video game, you know, it can result in some bad gameplay. You know, they're not always meant to, you know, work the same way. But if one thing, and checking out, there's an interview. Yep, that'll be in yeah. the show notes as well. Uh, so in the interview, they actually address this not really going for the specific rules uh they're just kind of trying to get the feel like for certain spells they reference the fireball spell you know it's not going to always do 8d6 damage and go 150 feet but it's going to be you know a fireball what you expect a fireball to be it's going to be a heavy mid-level spell it's going to do a bunch of damage so i think that's a great idea to not commit exactly to the D rule set but just adapt, adapt it to a video game setting, which is also kind of something they, they've been doing with, uh, if you look at like the Neverwinter MMO um, and how they're doing the storylines, that's kind of the same mindset, right? Where Neverwinter's taking uh, whatever the current Dungeons & Dragons storyline is, but kind of adapting it for themselves. So I like giving, you know, with gameplay, with storylines, having their own kind of interpretation uh, and not just following the set D&D rules. They're going more for this should feel like D&D as opposed to this should strictly follow every single rule. Yeah, definitely some games that maybe we've looked at or played independently and haven't come up on the podcast yet have fallen to that trap of it must be exactly like this, right? But I've got confidence based on the interview that Alex was referencing and... I don't know, maybe just my fanboyish hopes and dreams that that they're gonna get get it right, you know, make it feel right. Even when we did Neverwinter, you know, playing in that persistent world was that felt like playing real D and D to me, but in a digital setting. So I know it can be done, and I know I'm hoping that they really pull it off. Knowing what we know now, you know, a lot of it is we've we've seen the trailer. The game looks pretty good. We know that this takes place in Forgotten Realms, which, Rudy, before the podcast, you were doing a little bemoaning of, like, why does everything have to take place in the Forgotten Realms? And I agree with you. Yes, no more Faerun. <laughs> we're not going to see every race and class available at the start. You know, you have six classes, five races there. Are you interested in pre-ordering? I just want to go around the table real fast and see. And if so... Which one are you guys interested in pre-ordering? And if not, let's talk about let's talk about why. You know, we have uh, a a thirty-five dollar pre-order that includes a copy of the game via Steam. 
There's a $60 pre-order pack. Looks like you get some some interesting things that you can use within the game itself. There's a, uh, a beholder that the DM can use and a, a new dungeon tile set that the DM can use. And, you know, there's some, it looks like some extra weapons and armor and, and that kind of thing. And then there is a $240 limited edition collector's pack that comes with everything in the $60 pack. Plus a bunch of extra stuff, um, cloth map of the Sword Coast, a statue of Belafoss, who is a, you know, some sort of demon devil prince guy, looks like. I, I don't know a lot about his lore. If you are going to pre-order, which pack are you interested in getting and why? So let's just go around the table. Uh, Vegas, let's start with you, because I think you also have a comment on the races. I do. First of all, man, could they pick the most boring D&D races to put in this game. You can play as a human, elf, half-elf, dwarf, or halfling. Those are the most generic fantasy races in the world. My god. Sword Coast Legends, Tolkien edition. (laughs) Uh, That said, uh, I I don't plan on pre-ordering. I always think it's a little silly to pre-order games. Um, I I think you encourage bad game development by buying into the pre-order hype. Um, I think a lot of times bad games get released and paid for before they're released by selling lots of pre-orders rather than the game selling lots of copies because it's great after it's released. Gotcha. That's the old school Vegas mentality, but it is a surefire one to make sure you get a good game. So, and your money is well spent. Greg, what about you? You going to pre-order? I've sworn off pre-ordering after getting burned (laughs) on one game that I was super excited about. And then, you know, like having a family. What game? What game? Oh God, man. Shadowrun Returns was such a disappointment. (laughs) You bought the oh, Shadowrun game? Shadowrun <laughs> is so awesome. Another yeah. RPG, TRPG-based game. The, uh, the expansion's supposed to be really good, right? Dragon no, something? It's not going to matter, because I'll never buy it. But <laughs> And then, you know, like having a family and pre-ordering games and not opening them for three months, so kind of what's the point? But uh, I don't know, man. This looks really cool. And you know what? It, it's, it's coming out on Steam, which means I can buy it for 75% off in a year. But I don't want to wait that long. <laughs> like, like I, want, I want this game. Maybe it's because I know someone that works there, and he's really excited about it. I know he wouldn't even be there if he wasn't excited about it in the first place. But now he's telling me how good it is. I think I'm going to do it, man. I think I'm pulling the trigger on this. <laughs> even though I'm hesitant. You know, they talk about classes and races coming later. Is that going to be DLC? Because I'm going to be pissed if that's DLC. (laughs) Well, uh, let me say that as a a guy who plays a lot of console video games, $35 at launch seems like a pretty good pre-order deal to me. James Steam. That's all I got to say, man. I bought so many. I don't buy games on Steam unless they're seventy five percent off. Or <laughs> right, but let's say you were pre ordering a new game and not buying one that was a year old on Steam. Is thirty five dollars a good price? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's hard to say. There's so many deals no. you can get now. I don't like that price point at all. Forty dollars for a game that only has five classes and 
feeling. You don't know how long the story is. Gotta, you don't even know how I long the campaign I don't. I still don't like that. Like what? That's it's hard to determine at this point. If it's... I don't understand what your beef is with the price point for the with your example. Like, give me some more examples of why you don't like it. Because I don't understand that one. I don't. But the perspective it just screams to me that it's not going to be a super long game. I don't know what to tell you. But I, I don't think base, I can't think of a game that was forty. It's just a weird price point. I feel like I can't think of a game that was forty dollars. That was. It's a weird in between. Is this indie? Then it would be twenty or thirty. Is this AAA? Then it'd be fifty or sixty. It's just a weird price it, point. I think. Is it a game? Sending, that, I don't know. I don't agree with you on that. I'm you gonna do, disagree with you. Awesome. Whatever. Oh, it must be indie. Or it must be AAA. So it must be twenty dollars. It must be sixty. Like, why do we have to fall into that narrow kind of? thinking in terms because of, that's the standard so who and cares? that's the, the safe standard that's yes, something so you're gonna, i can you're gonna pay identify $60, with and you're gonna overpay if i'm paying $60. for a 60 dollar game i can have 60 dollar game expectations if i'm paying for a 20 or 30 dollar game i can have 20 or 30 dollar game expectations i don't know what 40 dollar game is well let me okay. throw this out there rudy because here's here's what i'm thinking based on this is that maybe the the 40 price point comes from the fact that maybe it is a shorter single player experience but the supposedly the replayability right uh, should be infinite with people being able to jump into that dungeon master role a lot of people could get many many hours of gameplay out of it but if all you're looking for is a single player experience then mm, you're not going to get as much out of it i'd be okay if someone wants to innovate on price i'm i'm kind of sick of overpaying for games though like triple a games that are 60 dollars just because they're triple a and then not worth it because the content's not there i mean at this point it's still pretty standard for pc only games to release at 50 dollars uh you know console games are the 60 dollar price point the big triple a titles and the reason i think that this is gonna be a 40 dollar game is even though yeah i've said these isometric games are having their big comeback they're still not really like super popular triple a titles so to shave off some money could be that extra encouragement for people to go ahead and purchase it. Uh, I don't think a $40 price point it means you should not expect a AAA title. You know, this is something that's still not completely, uh, you know, tested as a big seller. Uh, they don't know, you know, how, how popular it will be. There's going to be, well, the other thing is I'm really nervous about how the $60 pre-order has all this other DLC tile sets and DLC monster that is not included in the base game. I feel like that's going to be a big money pick going forward because that's another kind of industry standard now is release all sorts of other cosmetic-y kind of stuff. So I definitely think that the new classes that are going to be introduced are going to be with a dollar. So maybe it'll be more of an expansion pack than um like individual dlc packs but i definitely foresee a lot of buy the special demon monster pack to add Mm -hmm. specific kind of devil monsters and things like that and that is not appealing yeah it's a bummer that you have to to pre-order to get the beholder right now like that should be standard that was my first thought uh so rudy do you think you will pre-order this game yeah, absolutely. Thirty say five dollars. Why not? It looks like a great game. I I am excited about it, so I will absolutely pre-order it. Nice, nice. And Alex, you said you do not want to pre-order earlier in the podcast. Uh, I'm saying at this point, no. Uh, I mean, I'm ready to be convinced to pre-order. I mean, though I agree with Vegas and Greg, and I I think pre-ordering stupid, and I really shouldn't do it. Uh, I'm someone who two weeks ago just pre-ordered a hundred dollar game edition of Evolve, so. Uh, <laughs> 
It's it's a great idea, but I don't have the willpower to resist. <laughs> so um, once they honestly, what I'm waiting for is more on the DM mode. I think that's going to be possibly the the crit, you know, the best, the most innovative thing to come from this game. So once they show more of that, uh, you know, convince me. I'm ready to buy your game. So one DM and four PCs is sort of the bare, not the bare minimum for D and D party, but I mean, if that's the max, that's not amazing. And then you know what kind of features are going to be available for this DM mode. I mean, you saw in the trailer, they have the guy, the DM's dropping spiders in, and that looks really cool and organic, and that's neat. But what kind of support are they going to have for the DM? Now, James, I didn't actually, I never ran as a DM in Neverwinter Nights, so that's one hole mm-hmm. I have. But, I mean, I know from reading your blog about all the notes and prep and all this stuff, like what kind of support I wonder are they going to have in the game for that kind of stuff? You know, if you're looking at your notebook or all tabbing out to run the adventure in the game, that seems <laughs> kind of uh, clunky to me. So, right, you need a lot of tools available for the DM to do this, not just popping creatures in and unveiling fog of war and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say one of the the clunkiest things about Neverwinter Nights was actually building the the adventure locations and stuff. If you didn't want to use one of the adventures that came with the game, uh, you wanted to build it from scratch, which is, you know, the appeal. Uh, that took hours and hours, oh, far longer than it takes to prep, uh, you know, a, a quest from scratch for a tabletop game um, because it was very complicated to, uh, this door leads to this location and then you go here and then this takes you there and blah, blah, blah. Took forever to to make. Um, that was one of the clunkiest things. Another aspect of that is one of the most awesome things, as we discovered when we were doing our podcast about Neverwinter Nights, was these persistent world-like full-time live servers that people could set up i wonder i haven't seen anything unless i missed it guys um i haven't seen anything in these interviews about that kind of uh, persistent server capability so that'll be really interesting to see if they go all out that's hard that's a engineering challenge there right to support that kind of thing so i'm really curious if they're gonna go all out yeah that'd be cool I to mean, have they more than up. five people as the cap yeah, they they play up, they talk about how the comparisons to Neverwinter Nights are appropriate and how uh, Sword Coast Legends is really going to shine with this DM capability. So really curious to see more about that. Well, let's move on then to our second topic. Fergus Urquhart was uh, interviewed by Polygon, um, and this quote has sort of been flying around from him that uh, he does not want to work with... Dungeons and Dragons anymore, uh, and we should say he is the head of Obsidian, of course, and uh, he wants to work instead with Pathfinder. He is working with Pathfinder currently. They are developing a game based on their card game right now, their adventure card game. Uh, so, and of course, there are rumors. We were talking about this earlier that they are also going to make like an actual action RPG with the Pathfinder game. Obsidian had made Neverwinter Nights 2. They've had the Dungeons and Dragons license before. He loves D&D, but he does not really want to work with the brand anymore, basically because he has to jump through too many hoops, it sounds like, working with 
Hasbro, who owns Wizards of the Coast, who makes D&D. Um, and that Hasbro has other concerns, and Wizards of the Coast, because they also make Magic the Gathering, is more a trading card company than they are a tabletop RPG company, whereas when you're working with Pathfinder, you're working with Paizo, and Pathfinder is the big property they make, so they're more invested, and they want to work on it on that kind of stuff. What do you guys think? Do you think that uh, Fergus is correct here that uh, working with Dungeons and Dragons is too big of a pain in the butt and that they're not as invested in things as maybe the folks over at Paizo who are making Pathfinder are? Um, and, and why do you suspect he is saying this? Rudy, I would actually like to start with you because you were making some points before the podcast that I think were really good. Yeah, uh, Fergus actually made this comment before the announcement of Sword Coast Legends. So from my what I think is that he knew the game was going to be announced and wanted to make a comment on why it was Obsidian not working about on Dungeons and Dragons. They had already, you know, made the contract with Pathfinder previously, but still, when you think of you know top of the line RPG developers, Obsidian's up there. So I wasn't surprised then to find out that he'd made this comment. And I think you hit it on the head, James. Hasbro is a publicly traded company. You know, their bottom line is make as much money as possible. They, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it was a licensing dispute. You think of N Space being, a, the bid for, for the license probably was maybe low enough that Obsidian wasn't interested in it. I'm not sure. So to work with someone like Pathfinder, who, you know, they're private, they can do their own thing. They're excited about working with Obsidian, I'm sure. And um, they're excited to just have a big company and they're probably very willing to let obsidian take the lead on how to, to make a game. Whereas I can see a Hasbro producer popping in and giving notes. That's like, we no, this, this is not working with our design. This completely messes things up. And because they're the guys in charge, you kind of have to adhere to what they're saying. So I can understand where he's coming from at first. It didn't make like, why are you taking shots at D and D Fergus? What's going on here? But, uh, Looking back now, it, it makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, just to add to kind of the pedigree there, you know, Fergus is not just it's not just Obsidian. He was also the man at Black Isle, and they did you know Planescape and Icewind Dale. So that's that's no slouch, right? This guy's been working on D and D games for a long time. I'm pretty sure it was the first Pathfinder video game, right? So they're really going all out here and I, and I think Rudy's probably right that they are maybe more invested I have no idea what the sort of corporate relationships must be like over at Watsi with their Hasbro overlords right and they are kind of the the minority product you know especially compared to Magic right so I don't know did, did he hear about it and then say that to kind of cover his butt I don't know it is kind of a strange thing to, to come out with I don't think some of the comments he made about like, oh, where's D&D going with this release of Next? I don't really get that at all. But maybe that's just because I'm so invested in it. I mean, I'm, I'm on a D&D podcast, so maybe, <laughs> my, maybe I'm not super objective about it. Vegas Lancaster, what do you think about all this? Uh, what do you think that, do you agree with uh, Fergus here? Do you think that D&D is probably a harder brand to work with than Paizo? You know, at first I was going to say I have no idea because I'm not a game designer who's tried to work with Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, but by inference, uh, I bet it really is hard to work with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. And the reason I say that is 
have you ever tried to play a Magic the Gathering video game? They're all awful. <laughs> and, and they shouldn't be. They should be multi-million dollar games making tons of money online, and they're not. And the only way for that to be the case is is by having a, a pretty bad management team uh, behind them, uh, I, I suspect. Uh, so... Maybe this guy is talking talking some sense. I'll tell you what else. Uh, Obsidian makes some great games. Uh, Fallout New Vegas, uh, South Park Stick of Truth for some games I really loved. Uh, uh, the first Pathfinder project I've ever purchased may be coming up soon. Don't the Magic games make a lot of money? Am I? I have no idea, honestly. Uh, I no, mean, they've, I they've made like a yearly entry into the Duel of the Planeswalkers. For like the past five years, and I think they're pretty fun games. They're not like super customizable, but they're they're fun time wasters if you enjoy Magic the Gathering. Uh, Magic the Gathering Online, on the other hand, I think is kind of garbage. It's a great way to waste a lot of money. <laughs> Alex Basso, what do you think about uh, Fergus's comments here? Uh, I mean, I think it really reads like a guy who just doesn't feel like dealing with uh, big big companies anymore. I mean, one thing about Obsidian. For the past two years, they've been, you know, their big project has been Kickstarter funded, uh, Pillars of Eternity. So I'm sure they've had an unbelievable amount of freedom that they've never experienced before. Uh, and they might be enjoying that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think their next game, which is going to be a modern tank game, so they're, they really, they're in all genres. Uh, I don't see that as having an established publisher yet. So. You know, I mean, maybe they just, you know, I can't imagine working, like people said, working with Hasbro is probably the easiest thing to do. Uh, working with a smaller company like Paizo uh, is probably maybe something, uh, you know, an experience or allows them more freedom, and that's something they're looking for. Greg, you have any final thoughts for us? I mean, even if what he's saying is, is reasonable, why bother? Mm-hmm. Like, but, I mean, you can, why don't just talk about how great your stuff is <laughs> right yeah why, why do we have yeah to i don't know why he he's not doing any yeah. favors by making right? this oh i don't like working with those guys like Yarr. that's not a good way to keep a relationship i don't know their history but you, you don't like working with them well don't worry because you're probably what, not going to be yeah. working with them again <laughs> yeah well I mean, you know I, he he used to work on D&D games back when when TSR owned them and sometimes when things change old guys feel bad about it. It's not a Q&A style interview here on Polygon. Uh one might wonder if because he worked on so much D&D stuff and was now working on Pathfinder maybe he was asked about it and that's where these sure. these quotes come from as well. Yeah, it could be kind of taken out of context. Um I did think that TS, you know, I wish TSR would come back kind of thing. It was kind of funny because they kind of, you know, didn't succeed as a company. So maybe I don't really want them come back because um, <laughs> that didn't work out so well last time. <laughs> Where can people find you, Rudy Basso? Okay, so you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O. These three other guys and I do a podcast called D&D V&G, also on the Tome Show Network. Work. Also, Alex and I have a YouTube video game channel. Uh, it's currently called Game O'Clock. I think that's a temporary name, though. We're probably going to change it to either um, Bros Rockin' Trolls, as in controllers, or uh, Two Fishes with Three Wishes, which there's a whole story behind that, but we don't really have to get into that. But yeah, 
So look, uh, take a look at that. We uh, we have great insight into video games, so be sure to, to watch us. Excellent. And Alex Basso, in addition to those places, where can you be found? You can find me on Twitter at, at yo underscore Alex Basso. Awesome. And he is tweeting now, people. So. Uh, I haven't tweeted in a bit. But I'm, I'm still going to tweet. You're still I'm going to tweet. <laughs> and Greg Blair, where can people find you? I think you can find me in a few of those videos on uh, Game O'Clock being ridiculous and saying silly things with those Basso brothers, which is a lot of fun. Or you could just hit me up on the tweeters at NTS underscore QPOP. That's a QPOP. <laughs> and Vegas Lancaster, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Vegas Lancaster, always doing comedy shows in the Philadelphia area. Uh, can I say this episode felt a lot like the episode of the X Files where they had those IT nerds on because they were trying to spin those guys off onto their own TV they got their show. Own show. They got their own show. They did for like a season. <laughs> we are those <laughs> IT nerds, Rudy. They all die at the end. You mean the I lone gunman? They have a name. Lone gunman. I do mean the lone gunman. People, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can reach out to any of these four fine gentlemen in the ways you, they have expressed. You may reach out to them. Or you could leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world that I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Got tons of PDFs up there with magic items and, and new monsters and stuff. It's all free backgrounds. Go check them out. And uh, leave me some comments. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if you hate it. I'm open to feedback. I'm not perfect, but I pretty much am. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Rudy, Alex, Greg, and Vegas. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. And to Sam Dillon for getting the podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com. Use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.